everyone, and welcome to the thrilling adventures of Superman, a podcast where Superman still stands for truth, justice, and the American way. This is episode 82, and my name is Michael Bradley. This episode, we will be looking at the 17th storyline from the Superman radio serial, which wraps up a dangling plot thread or two from the last storyline, and then launches Superman and Jimmy Olsen into a brand new adventure. First, though, an email. This one comes from Michael Bailey, man of a thousand podcasts, and he writes, Michael, so I am making my way through the thrilling adventures of Superman, and wanted to drop you a quick line now that I am 15 episodes in. You, sir, are producing a fantastic show. The audio was a little rough in the beginning, but other than that, you hit the ground running. And I'm going to stop right there. Yeah, the audio in the first few episodes is pretty bad. When I started, I didn't have a mic. And it was the first time I had done a podcast, and I wasn't sure really if it was something that would take. So I recorded those first, I don't know what what it was, three or four, maybe five episodes, just using the computer's built-in mic. Uh, It turned out better than it had any right to be, given the circumstances, but still, it's pretty bad. I've thought a time or two about going back and redoing them, but eh, I I don't want to George Lucas the show, and you know, much like the comics themselves, they're rough in the beginning and they get better as they go on, so there's a nice parallel there. Anyway, Mike continues... The mix of humor and information is spot on, and I often find myself chuckling at a comment you've made, or your choice of sound effects or samples to use as gags. While you and John Wilson are covering the same era, both shows are very distinctive and enjoyable in their own right. I like that you tackle one story per episode, and the mixing of the comic book stories with the comic strip stories makes for a varied show that never gets boring. I'm glad I picked up that that hardback collection of the strips back in 2006, when Barnes & Noble had them so cheap, and have been meaning meaning to take it out and read it, and between my plans for next year and your show, I finally did so. I even loaded up the radio shows on my Zoom to re-listen, so that I can follow along with those as well when you get to them. So, I'm hip-deep in the golden age again, and it's all thanks to you. All in all, you're doing a great job, and I'm sorry it took me so long to get to the show. Keep up the great work, Mike. Thanks for the email, Mike. I'm really glad you're enjoying the show. It's also great to know that the show has renewed your interest in the Golden Age stuff. One of the best compliments a podcaster can get, I think, is to know that their coverage of whatever they're talking about has gotten someone interested or re-interested in that particular subject. So that's, that's really good to hear. I'm sure most people listening to this have heard Michael Bailey at some point. As I said, he's the man of a thousand podcasts. But in case not, Michael is co-host of From Crisis to Crisis and Radio KAL Live at the Superman homepage. He's also a co-host on Pad Smash, which is an Incredible Hulk podcast, and he participates regularly on several of the Two True Freak shows, plus his own solo show, Views from the Long Box. And he's got other podcasts, both past and present, that I'm no doubt neglecting to mention. I'm pretty sure all these are linked at the site, so check them out. And Mike, thanks again for the email. I'm really glad you're enjoying the show. Hey, kids, comics! Hey, Michael! Yes? We have to record a promo for our podcast. I've got one. Read our podcast. Read our podcast. You do know this is an audio medium? 
watch our podcast. But you can watch podcasts, but not ours, because let's face it, we've got faces for radio. Um, no, wait, I've got it. Give me a second, right? What? Just listen to our podcast. Listen to our podcast. Snap it. It's short, sweet. I'm liking it. It's good. It's great. Not exactly telling people what our podcast's about, though, is it? We read comics. We read comics. That's true. That's good. Liking it. Liking this pitch. Carry on. Right. We talk about comics. We do. We talk about comics. We read comics, and then we talk about them, because we can't talk about them before we read them. Excellent. Keep going. And then we sing. Badly. Yes, well, badly is purely subjective, but how many other comic book podcasts do you know where people sing? Aches Comics! Every Thursday at aplayland.podomatic.com So like I said, this episode we are looking at the 17th storyline from the radio serial. It was episodes 97 to 102, and it aired September 23rd to October 4th, 1940. Can you believe we're into heading into October already? As mentioned last episode, Action Comics number 30 came out likely just after this story's first episode. Uh, the dailies were winding down a story we'll be looking at in two weeks, and the Sundays, lather, rinse, repeat, big story, upcoming episode. That better be a really good storyline as long as it ran. I guess it was only 13 weeks. Of course, that's more than three months since there's only one Sunday per week. But anyway, we'll discuss that in a few weeks because right now we have got a six-episode radio arc to discuss. A six-episode arc that has been called The Curse of Dead Man's Island. When we last saw Kent, he had recovered Professor Thorpe's $2 million gold treasure from Pete Escobar, a half-breed desperado, and at the same time as Superman had rescued young Jimmy Olsen, Daily Planet copy boy, from death in an earthquake-shattered cave. As our story continues today, Professor Thorpe's ship, the Juanita, is being made ready for a trip back to the United States. While waiting for food and water to be loaded aboard, Clark Kent and Jimmy Olsen are strolling along the sandy shore of Manawa Harbor, engaged in a serious conversation. Listen. Jimmy tells Clark what happened to him at the end of the final episode from the last storyline, including being locked in the cave by Pete Escobar the earthquake, the cave-in, and getting rescued by and meeting the one and only Superman. Clark feigns surprise as Jimmy tells him Superman said that one day he might just find out who he really is. But before he can say much more, they hear the Juanita, signaling that it's time to depart. Before they board, Jimmy spots a turtle in the water and wants to take it home. With Clark's help, they fish it in, and Jimmy notices scratches on the turtle's shell. Upon closer inspection, Clark realizes that they've been made with a knife or a sharp stone, and that the carvings read, Dead Man's ISL. Help. Knowing that ISL is an abbreviation for island, Clark deduces that someone on the island must need help. He plans to send Jimmy back back on the Juanita with the Professor Thorpe, and then go investigate. But Jimmy pleads to go along, and Clark eventually gives in. After seeing Thorpe off, Clark buys an old boat, and he, Jimmy, and the turtle head towards Dead Man's Island. They'd tried to hire a fishing boat, but no one wanted to take them there, afraid of a curse that's on the island that allegedly causes any ship that comes within 500 yards to crash on the rocks. The water around the island has even earned the name the Sailor's Graveyard because of all the casualties. Jimmy is worried, but Clark says that the curse is nonsense. He's aware of a reef of rocks that surrounds the island, but is sure that they can be avoided. 
About then, the boat's motor mysteriously shuts off. They can see the island off in the distance, and it looks deserted, but they're unsure what is hidden behind a row of trees. Clark is finally able to get the engine running again, and they motor on, but soon find themselves headed straight towards the rocks. Unsuccessful in trying to turn the boat, Clark tells Jimmy to kill the motor. Unfortunately, the boat has been caught in a tide, and continues its deadly path forward. Just before the boat crashes into the rocks, Jimmy and Clark jump free. Seeing Jimmy has been knocked unconscious and is sinking, Clark changes to Superman, grabs the boy, and lands safely on shore. He notices that there doesn't seem to be enough tide to push the boat like it did, but decides to look into it later as Jimmy is coming to again. After a few minutes, Jimmy is feeling strong enough to go on, so the two head towards the trees for a little exploring. They follow a path and soon come across a set of fresh footprints. Off in the distance, a strange noise echoes. Unsure what it is, Clark and Jimmy take cover behind a bush as the ominous noise moves closer. Clark and Jimmy crouch in the shrubbery as the noise seems to fade. Jimmy maintains a stiff upper lip, but is worried the rumors about the island's curse are true. Clark thinks he hears someone approaching as the noise returns, even louder than before. They then see a woman with a falcon on her shoulder, walking down the path towards the beach. They watch as she stops at the water's edge, and the falcon sails out towards the rocks, and then returns, landing again on her shoulder. As the woman comes back up the path, Clark confronts her, hoping she can explain some of the strangeness. The bird, whose name we later learn is Balto, gets bothered, making more of the noises they'd heard earlier. But the woman explains he simply doesn't like strangers. Somehow knowing their boat crashed on the rocks, she then tells Clark and Jimmy to come, offering them dry clothes. As they walk, she explains she and her sick brother live alone on the island. Clark introduces himself and Jimmy, and we learn the woman's name is Alana. Jimmy starts to tell her about the turtle, but Clark hushes him and says that they were turtle fishing, and when they saw the island, they thought they'd stop for a look around, but were caught in the tide and wrecked. They approach the house, a large stone building well hidden by the trees, and Jimmy asks what the bird was doing when he, you know, flew out over the water. Alana seems to get a bit irritable at the question, dismissing it and saying he was just exercising. After entering the large home, Alana shows them upstairs to a room and then leaves to go get some food and dry clothes. Clark isn't sure what's going on, but thinks that there's more to it than just two people living alone on an island. He's not sure why such a large home would be in the middle of a deserted island, or why Alana got upset when Jimmy asked about the bird. A knock at the door, and Alana drops off some dry clothes and says she will bring them food when it's ready. After Alana leaves, Clark says he's suspicious that she said that she'd bring the food, thinking that it means she doesn't want them looking around, and decides to do just that. Jimmy doesn't want to stay alone, so they sneak down the hall towards a set of doors. Clark hears a faint humming noise, possibly from a generator or an electric motor, coming from behind one of the doors. Listening, they hear Alana speak with a man. He tells Alana he wants her to do away with Clark and Jimmy, but Alana is having none of it. She wants to take them away in a motorboat, but the man says they are not to leave the island, and that's final. Clark and Jimmy hurry back to the room and wonder what to do. A knock at the door, and Alana enters, telling them that they are in great danger. She says they must leave immediately, and tells them to go back down the path to the beach. She says if they walk up the beach a short distance, they'll find a motorboat hidden in a cove. They should take it and leave immediately, using the lighthouse to find their way back to Manau. 
Clark is hesitant, wanting an explanation, but Alana insists that they must leave. Figuring they have no choice, they agree, and Alana says she'll lead them back to the path. But as they exit into the hall, they hear a scream. Alana tries to pass it off as Balto, but Clark knows that it's a human voice yelling for help, and he and Jimmy run off to find it. When our next episode begins, we get a bit of a revision from last episode. After the cry, instead of running off to find it, Clark stands in the hallway, telling Alana to lead them to it. She refuses, saying there's nothing they can do, and Clark and Jimmy need to get off the island immediately because they're in danger. Finally tired of arguing, then Clark and Jimmy run off to find the noise. I guess to be fair, that's not a revision as much as a weird retelling, but still, it threw me when I heard the episodes. So anyway, Clark and Jimmy run off and head down the stairs towards the cellar. Striking a match to light the way, Clark sends Jimmy down first, and the humming noise grows louder. They find nothing in the cellar but a dynamo, which they think is odd since the house uses oil lamps and would have no use for a generator. Clark then hears water gurgling, and as he moves towards a wall, the sound grows louder. After tapping on the wall a bit, he finds a place that sounds hollow. Handing Jimmy the light, Clark realizes that there's a door hidden in the wall. When the match goes out, Clark tells Jimmy not to light another as he fumbles along the wall, trying to find out how to open the door. One crash later, and the wall falls in, revealing a tunnel with a stream of water running through it. They start to head down the tunnel when Jimmy cries out that something hit his foot. Using the light, they realize the tunnel is full of turtles, similar to the one that Jimmy found at Manau. The two head down the tunnel with Clark leading the way, and soon hear moaning sounds. Running ahead, they come to a padlocked wooden door. Clark says it looks rusty and grabs it, only to find that the lock somehow falls apart right in his hand. Opening the door, they see a man chained to the wall. Grabbing a nearby tin can, he tells Jimmy to get some water, and while the boy is gone, Clark uses a little Kryptonian elbow grease to snap the man's chains. When Jimmy returns, they give the man water and he starts to come too. The man is very thin and gaunt, and acts like he's been severely treated. The man says he was locked in the cellar by a madman named Boris. After Clark tells him that they were led to an island by a message on the turtle's shell, he then explains that his name is Carl Edwards. He was an electrician on a yacht, and one night, as his boat passed the island, their navigational tools went crazy, and the yacht was forced into the rocks. He was the only survivor of the 25 people on board the yacht. He assumes the waves carried them to the shore, and when he came to, Boris was rummaging through the papers he had in his pocket. Edward says the fact that he's an electrician may have saved his life, but at the same time condemned him to a living death. Clark seems confused, and Edwards explains that hidden within the rocks around the island are electromagnets, causing any ship that passed within a thousand yards to crash into them. Edwards thinks Boris is hiding something on the island, and uses the electromagnets to keep anyone from finding it. He hadn't been able to look around because Boris had kept him chained up after he made an escape attempt. Once a day, Boris lets him free to inspect the generator, and on one such occasion, he had grabbed ten turtles, carving his message into their backs and sending them out, hoping one would be found. Clark says the generator needs shut down, and tells Jimmy and Edwards to wait there while he goes to take care of it. After Clark is gone, Jimmy tries to cheer Edwards up by telling him how awesome Clark has been in the past. 
They then hear footsteps coming down the tunnel, and Jimmy thinks it might be Clark, but Edwards recognizes the steps as belonging to his captor, Boris. Back with Superman, the Man of Steel flips the switch, deactivating the generator. He's about to smash it to ensure it's never used again when he hears Alana coming down the stairs and quickly changes back to Clark. Alana tells him again that he and Jimmy have to leave because they're in great danger. And then Clark asks about Edwards, saying he's sure Alana would want him to go too. He then tells her what he learned from Edwards about the wreck of the yacht and the electromagnets hidden in the rocks. Alana pleads with him not to destroy the generator, saying it could cause her brother to lose his mind. Clark is skeptical, still thinking there's more to it, and demands to know what Boris is hiding. Alana finally relents, resigning herself to tell him everything. The house was built many years ago by a very rich man who became ill of a strange, disfiguring disease that made him hideous to behold. Go on. Ashamed to face the world, he bought this island, built the house and moved into it with his large family. Boris, my brother, was his caretaker. Is this the truth, Elena? I swear it. All right, go on. The man died a year later, and at once his family left the island. The next I knew, I received a cable from my brother to come at once that he had discovered untold riches and needed my help. What were the riches? I will come to that. When I arrived, I found my brother possessed of a demon. He was mad with lust for what he had found, and as you said, he imagined others were trying to steal it from him. That's why he placed the magnets in the rock. Yes, so that no other boat could approach the island. But what was it he found? What could have been so precious that he murdered people to keep it secret? Oh, you will not believe me when I tell you, but as I stand here, it is the truth. In the water surrounding the island, there are... Oh! That's Jimmy. He's in trouble. I've got to help him. Oh, it is no use. It is too late. We'll see about that. I tell you, it is too late. Might be too late for Clark Kent. But not for Superman. I'm coming, Jimmy. Superman runs back to the room, only to find Jimmy and Edwards gone. While the Man of Steel conducts a frantic search... Jimmy and Edwards are being held captive in one of the stone house's tall towers. Edwards says he appreciates what Clark and Jimmy have done for him, but is resigned to the fact that it's all been for naught, as now there is no escape. But Jimmy's positive that Clark will rescue them, and the two commiserate a bit over all that's happened. Edwards seems to think that it's his fault for letting Clark run off, because the three of them might have been able to take Boris together. But Jimmy says maybe not. Clark's smart, but not much of a fighter, you know. But had Superman been there, then it would have been a much different story. The boy goes on, raving about Superman's amazing feats and strength, and he starts to tell about the cave-in and how Superman rescued him, but stops short when he remembers he wasn't supposed to say anything. They then hear footsteps approaching. Thinking it might be Boris, Edwards plans to jump him when he comes through the door and tells Jimmy to run, find Clark, get to the motorboat, and escape the island. But when the door opens, it's Alana who comes through, giving them a saw and a rope so that they can cut the bars off the window and escape. Jimmy wants to wait for Clark, but Alana promises to find him and bring him to the beach. She tells them the generator has been shut off, which means they should be able to make their escape without worrying about the magnets. As dawn breaks outside, Edwards removes the bars in the window and begins to climb down. Once Edwards reaches the ground, Jimmy climbs through and plans his own descent. Once gone, Alana says she didn't want to lie to him, but now at least two of them will be safe. Behind her, Boris storms into the room and grows angry that Jimmy and Edwards are gone. Alana refuses to say where they went, but after Boris gets violent, finally admits that they went to the motorboat 
and at that, Boris releases her and laughs a sinister cackle, revealing that the generator has once again been turned on. Jimmy and Edwards run up the beach. Finally spotting the motorboat, they pull it from the cove and climb aboard. Edwards is able to get the motor running, and they take off. They plan on anchoring just offshore and waiting for Alana to bring Clark. Unfortunately, the boat is pulled towards the rocks. Despite a great effort, Edwards is unable to turn the boat away, so he and Jimmy leap from the boat just before it is wrecked. Edwards helps Jimmy back to shore, and they stop to rest on a sandbar. Edwards grows angry, thinking Alana had lied to them about the generator and sent them to their doom. After regaining their strength, they start to swim the rest of the way to shore, when Jimmy spots three giant clams headed towards them in the water. Knowing clams are dangerous, Edwards tells Jimmy to hurry, but is unfortunately grabbed by one of the clams and pulled underwater. Back at the house, Superman emerges from the network of tunnels under the home, and hears Jimmy's cries for help. Taking to the skies, he speeds towards the waterfront. As Jimmy watches in joyous amazement, Superman dives into the water. The Man of Steel puts his hands between the clam's shell and uses all of his strength to pry it open, freeing Edwards. He then grabs the man's unconscious form, leaps out of the water, grabs Jimmy, and flies both to shore. Edwards is bruised, but seems otherwise okay. As the man begins to come to, Superman says he has to leave, and Jimmy mentions about the trouble at the house, and our hero replies that Jimmy shouldn't worry, because Clark will be along shortly. Jimmy then reminds Superman about his promise to reveal who he really is, and Superman says he hasn't forgotten and that Jimmy will find out someday. After Superman leaves, Edwards recovers. Jimmy starts to explain how Superman saved them from the giant clams when Clark comes running towards them, and Edwards and Jimmy catch Clark up on their escapades from the last couple episodes. Recalling Alana's final words from last episode about there being something in the water around the island, Clark says he suspects the giant clams are connected to the secret of Dead Man's Island, and says that they are going to find out how. Edwards is skeptical that giant clams can be connected to anything that's gone on on the island. After an extensive review of the story's events, they determine they need to go back to the house to investigate. But Edwards refuses, saying he'd rather stay where he's at. Clark suggests he wait by the edge of the woods instead, so that he'll be better hidden, and Jimmy and Clark go back to the house to find Alana. They feel their way through the darkened tunnel under the house, but stop when they hear a scratching sound from up ahead. Clark investigates and soon discovers the noise was made by turtles crawling around inside one of the giant clam shells in order to feed on the, the clam meat. Knowing the clams couldn't have crawled in there on their own, it reaffirms Clark's suspicion that they have something to do with the secret of Dead Man's Island. Clark and Jimmy continue their way through the tunnel as the hum of the generator grows louder. When they finally get back to the cellar, Clark unplugs the generator and then rips off some wires, assuring that it won't be turned on again. Knowing they have to move fast, Clark and Jimmy creep out of the cellar and into the house. They move through the rooms quietly, but are startled when Balto spots them and cries out. Clark is about to, quote, quiet him for good, unquote, when they hear Boris and Alana coming and hide behind the sofa. Boris knows Balto's cries means that someone else is in the house and forces Alana to unlock the cage. The bird flies directly at Clark and Jimmy and reveals their hiding place. Boris threatens to shoot them both, but Alana tries to grab the gun. A struggle ensues and a gunshot rings out with Boris, the victim.
With her brother dead and the danger gone, Elana shows Clark and Jimmy a cabinet full of giant pearls, which had been produced by the island's giant clams. Wanting no part in them, Elana says she's leaving the pearls where they are and leaving Dead Man's Island forever. She says she has a sailboat, which can be used to carry them all to safety. Clark goes to get Edwards and says they'll give Boris a proper burial and then leave the island. Some time has passed. Clark and Jimmy wave goodbye to Alana and Edwards as they depart on a liner bound for Bermuda. Clark then tells Jimmy about a cable he received from Perry that read, Return at once. Big story breaking. Need you. And the two friends leave to begin their journey back home. The End Hey, this is Bane. Listen to this promo for the BatmanUniverse.net or I'll break you. The BatmanUniverse.net, your source for all things related to the Dark Knight, including the latest news related to the comics, movies, TV, merchandise, video games, and much more. Each month, an assortment of podcasts are produced, including a bi-monthly comic podcast, special commentaries and interviews, the Batman Universe specials, and a podcast which delves into TV, movie, merchandise, video game news, and beyond. Keep up to date with everything about Batman, get to know the kooky and lovable casts of the podcasts, listen to in-depth conversations about the latest direct-to-video movies, and increase your knowledge about the Dark Knight and his family, only at thebatmanuniverse.net. I'm Dustin from the BatmanUniverse.net, and I approve this message. I believe the actor playing Jimmy in this arc is the same one as in the last storyline, meaning not Jackie Kelk. Like I said in episode 80, I don't mind this actor, but I'm not completely on board with him either. He's playing Jimmy much younger, which works, but could get old quickly. And in fact, really started to with this arc. It's hard to buy into the idea that the Jimmy presented to us in this arc is the same one who cared for his aunt. And it's clearly supposed to be because they keep referencing that storyline. It's fine for what it is, but you know, if, if, if that's what they want to go with, but I'm hoping that Jackie Kelk and the portrayal of Jimmy as slightly older uh, both return soon. So with episode 97, our story picks up pretty much where episode 96 left off. I'm not going to say that it will happen every storyline, even though it eventually does, but this is the beginning of a bit of a different practice for the show, where one story will lead into the next. It will either be a direct continuation via a plot point, or, like here, something more like an offhand mention that then launches the next story. While it isn't always going to work the greatest, and it's one of those things that completely fails when you really sit down and parse it out, I like the idea of one storyline leading to the next. I loved that the ending of episode 96 was Superman meeting Jimmy and then just flying off. It gives the writers opportunities to have endings with more impact, rather than just wrapping each storyline with Clark and Lois, or Clark and Jimmy as it would have been here, going back to Metropolis to write up the story. Plus, from their point of view, the writer's point of view, it allows them to whet the appetite of the listener to get them to come back to the next storyline when you don't have a completely square ending. Unfortunately, there, there are a few kinks in this method. 
here especially, as there are uh, uh, plot points from last storyline that went unaddressed. Namely, the fact that Bill Wentworth is never mentioned. It talks about how Clark and Jimmy are waiting around for supplies to be loaded aboard the Juanita before it goes back to the U.S., but they don't mention Bill. Which is bad, because from the sounds of things, last storyline, he was pretty severely injured, and it just feels forgotten about by both the writers and the characters. Thankfully, they do address the gold. Jimmy tells Clark how Superman picked it up and carried it all out of the tunnel before the cave-in. So I was happy that they addressed that since the gold was pretty key to last storyline. I liked Jimmy telling Clark of his meeting with Superman. It was more for the sake of recap, but it was a great moment in the show and the history of the characters, and I just loved Jimmy's excitement over it and glad that that got referenced again because as we've seen and as we will see, that's something that's going to carry forward in the story arcs to come. Also, Jimmy wanting to get a turtle and take home with him was cute as well. Hey, wait a minute. That's swimming on top of the water. Huh? Oh, it looks like a small turtle. Gosh, Mr. Kent, can I catch it and take it back home with me? I'll bet none of the kids in my block ever saw a turtle. It's a live, won't it? I guess so. Here, I'll bring it in closer with a stick. Okay. Wait a minute. All right, there. Grab it, Jimmy, before it gets away. I got it. Okay. Gosh, it's a funny-looking thing. <laughs> Don't just head in the minute you touch it. Being a... Well, however old he is supposed to be, with this actor, I just can't believe he is supposed to be 14, even though that's what they established in a much earlier episode. But being a young kid, him wanting a pet turtle totally fits. And I liked his and Clark's interaction in in that scene. The two have formed a great big brother-little brother relationship that I like quite a bit. So, Clark and Jimmy resolve to find Dead Man's Island and check things out. Clark tells Jimmy that they'll tell Thorpe that Perry wired them to cover a story. And he doesn't mention it, but you know why that's a good excuse? Because that's how almost every story until now has started. So that's another compliment for this arc, that they actually changed up the catalyst for once. As they are motoring to Dead Man's Island, Clark tells Jimmy he bought the boat that they're using for $50. According to inflation calculators, that's more than $800 today which is an awful lot of money for him to just toss out there. I mean, am I misunderstanding how inflation works, or did the writers just not get that reporters aren't filthy stupid rich? Episode 98, here's where the story started to get a little weird, but weird in a good way. The weird in a bad way comes later, but this was just a a very eerie scene as this woman walks down a lone path through the woods, It's night, she walks with the falcon on her shoulder, stops at the water, and then turns and makes her way back up the path. Even when they finally talk to her, they retain that sort of eerie mystery as the actress playing Alana has a rather um, unique accent and, and way of speaking. Both the actress and the writing did a really good job of keeping you in suspense as to whether or not Clark and Jimmy should really trust Alana. I will say, though, that it might have been just a little much for Clark to jump to the idea that something's up only because Alana said she would bring their food to them. I mean, maybe she's just being nice to the people who were just shipwrecked and stranded, you know? Now, granted, Clark had some suspicions before this, or if not suspicions, at least a feeling that things weren't adding up, but they played a, they played that up much bigger, like a much bigger clue than it actually should have been. 
episode 99. At the beginning of this episode, Clark and Jimmy run down to the cellar trying to track down the person that they heard screaming. And the way they did the whole search was really fun. I'm just going to play the clip here. It isn't the whole episode, but it, it is a little longer than a normal clip. But I'm just going to play the whole segment so you can hear it, and then I'll be back with a few comments. Oh, this looks like the door. Yes, it is. Pete, it's dark down there. Wait, I'll light a match. There. You go down first, Jimmy. Now walk those stairs. They're steep. All right. Hey, you see that home, Mr. Kent? Like the one we heard upstairs. Yes, only it's louder. Dynamo or electric motor must be down in the cellar. We'll find it. Well, we're near the bottom of the steps now. Be careful. Here, wait. Why don't I light another match? This is going out. All right. Hey. What does it look like? There's nothing down here but that big machine over in the corner. Yeah, that's the dynamo. What's a dynamo? It's a machine that manufactures electric current. This house has no electric light. They use oil lamps. That's what puzzles me. What are they using the current for? Gee, I don't know. Listen. Is it the hawk again? No. It's the gurgling of water. Can you hear it? I hear something. Here. Come over to this wall. Now, listen. Yeah, I hear it now. It's like a book. That's right. Let's see how solid this stone wall is. All right, there. And there. Huh. That doesn't sound like the others. And it isn't. The wall's thin here. Oh, darn it, there goes the match. Here, light another, Jimmy. Got a hunch there's something behind this wall. Here. Now hold it up high. All right. That's right. Uh-huh, just as I thought. What is it, Mr. Kent? There's a stone door set in this wall. See the cracks? I see them. Oh, if we can only find out how the door opens, it may lead to something. Oh, the match went out. I'll light another. No, no, don't light any more now. Stand back a little, Jimmy. Well, what are you going to do? Uh, get the door open if I can. Must be something you press. Uh, let's see. Uh... What happened? I don't know. I touched one of the stones and the whole door fell apart. All right, you can light a match now. What? Wow, look at that pile of stones. I bet even Superman couldn't have busted that door apart any better. What's behind it? It looks like a tunnel. Yes, it is a tunnel. With a brook running through it. Come on, let's explore it. Right. Oh! What happened, Jimmy? Something touched my foot. It felt like a hand. Here, give me the matches. Yep. <laughs> you know what touched your foot, Jimmy? What? A turtle. The tunnel's full of them. Oh, look. See them crawling in the water? Gosh, they're just like the one I picked up at the beach at Manal. The one that had Dead Man's Island and the word help scratched on its back. Jimmy, you're a born detective. Well, suppose we follow this tunnel and see where it leads. Here. Hold my hand. Right. I can feel my way and save matches. I haven't many left. Gee, there's dark down here. Yeah. Well, what do you suppose this tunnel under the house is used for, Mr. Kent? Well, you know as much about it as I do, Jimmy. Whoever built this huge house in the middle of a deserted island was crazy. Putting a tunnel under it just makes it crazier. Mm. Wait, don't move. What is it? Oh, I heard something. You're right. Someone's gone. Yes. Maybe it's the man who was crying for help. But where can he be? Up ahead. Come on. Boy, this is exciting. Wait a minute, Jimmy. Huh? Did you find something? Yes, I think there's a wooden door on the side of the tunnel. Here, let me have the matches. I gave them back to you. Oh. Yeah, I've got them. Yeah, it's a door, all right. Well, but there's a big padlock on it. Uh-huh. The padlock looks rusty. Maybe I can snap it. I'll hold the match. No, I don't need any light. There. Now, let's see. Mm, sounds loose. Yep, it is. Here goes. Huh. Came apart in my hands. All right, let's open the door now. Regular room, Mr. Kent. 
There's an oil lamp hanging from the ceiling. Look, Jimmy. There, chained to the wall. A man. Quick, Jimmy. Yes. Take that tin can and fill it with water for the brook. Hurry. Okay. While Jimmy's gone, I can break these chains. Another second, I'll have him free. That does it. Here's the water, Mr. Kent. Oh, good. Saw it in his face. All right. I love the way they had Clark doing his super feats, you know, knocking down the wall, breaking the lock, and so on, right under Jimmy's nose. But unlike uh, previous situations where they've done similar things, they didn't have Jimmy conveniently knocked out or sent away, except there at the last. And there's no inner monologue or even a later explanation that Superman was doing what he was doing. They just do it and then let the listeners pick up on it for themselves. I'm really impressed that they've gotten so much smarter or mature in the writing over the last few storylines, and I can't help but notice that it coincides to when Jay Johnstone joined the writing staff. I don't know for sure if he was the one responsible or if it was just a collective group, uh, collective group effort to, to write differently, but ever since he's joined, the writing on the show has just been different. A large part of the rest of the episode is exposition and backstory once they find Edwards, so not a whole lot to say about that. I wish they would have been able to spread that out a bit more, but I really don't know that they had much choice in this storyline. This is a pretty dense story for only six episodes, but it works and it really keeps the momentum going, so that's definitely uh, not a complaint. There was another continuity reference here at the very end of the episode. Jimmy is talking to Edwards about what a swell guy Clark is, and he starts, once again, to tell him about how Clark helped him out his aunts. Amusingly, though, much like when he tried to tell Bill Wentworth, he gets hushed before he can tell the story, but just the same, I, I love the nod. And the cliffhanger here was pretty ominous. You went through an awful lot, haven't you, Mr. Edwards? Yes, Jimmy. Once I get off this island, I can forget it. Well, if anybody can get us off, Clark Kent will. He's a swell guy. Yes, I can see that. And you're a brave boy to take chances like this with him. Oh, this is nothing. I want to put my aunt's place in Maine, a gang of rough... Someone's coming. Oh, it's Mr. Kent. Boy, I bet he fixed that dynamo so I won't ever run again. Jimmy, I don't think it's Kent. Huh? I know those footsteps. I've heard them coming down that tunnel every day now for months. Who is it? Like several in the last storyline, this is a cliffhanger that's not quite what you might expect. It's very ominous and a definite threat, but they don't overplay it, which makes it all the more dramatic. Episode 100. There is no big to-do in the episode itself about it being episode 100. They, di- they didn't really do that back then, and, and for a thrice-weekly show... 100 episodes isn't much. I mean, that's not even a full year. But still, 100 episodes is a definite milestone. But oddly, there's not much else to say about this episode, I'm sorry to say. Again, a lot of exposition and talking heads, though it did have several great character moments, um, especially from Jimmy. Well, it was a good try, Jimmy. I appreciate everything you and Kent did for me. Too bad it had to end this way. Well, it hasn't ended yet, Mr. Edwards. I find old Clark Kent. He'll find us. I wish I felt that way, but I'm afraid not. There's no possible escape from this room. Look at these walls. They're a foot thick. Even if we could get the iron bars loose on that little window, it's a good hundred foot drop to the ground. 
Oh, it's hopeless, Jimmy. Gosh, why doesn't he just kill us then and of locking us up in this room? I don't know, but you can bet your bottom dollar he's got some diabolical scheme hatching in his twisted brain. A man has lost his mind. He certainly looks it. I got scared to see in his face when he came into that tunnel room after us. Where she hair and his eyes, like little black shoe buttons. He gave me the creeps. If I'd had more strength, I could have fought back, Jimmy. Even given up my life to give you time to get away. I didn't want to run away. Honest, I didn't. Just because I said looking at him gave me the creeps doesn't mean I was afraid. No, no, I'm sure you weren't. Didn't I kick and yell when he grabbed me and shoved me into that elevator? Say, did you know there was an elevator from the top floor to the tunnel down under the house? No, I didn't. If there hadn't been, he never would have gotten us up here. Oh, but what's the difference? It was all my fault to begin with. I shouldn't have allowed Kent to go back and stop the dynamo. If he'd been with us, there might have been a different story to tell. He looks like he can handle himself. No, Fox, not much of a fighter. He's smart, all right, and he can get you out of trouble, but I don't think he'd have been able to tackle Boris. Because we had Superman, we could get out of this place in a second. Superman? Yes, sir. Who's he? Haven't you heard of Superman? He's the strongest man in the world. He could take those bars in front of the window and twist them into pretzels. Yeah, and even if those walls are a foot thick, he could bust right through them, Superman could. Well, when Peanuts the bar locked me in that cave from now, Superman just... Oh, What's the matter, Jimmy? I forgot. I'm not supposed to tell anyone about that. I didn't really tell you, did I? All I said was that Peter Escobar locked me in a cage. I didn't tell you how to get out, did I? No. How did he get out? I can't tell you that, Mr. Edwards. I wish I could, but I can't, honest. That's all right with me, Jimmy. Now, how about lying down and getting a little rest? You've been on the go almost all night. I'm not tired. I couldn't fall asleep. Why don't we try and see if we can loosen those bars in the window? It'll be daylight soon, and we'll be able to see how far it is to the ground. Maybe we can climb down. Uh, I tested them, Jimmy. They're set in concrete. I love this precocious, younger portrayal of Jimmy. I still think it would limit them long term, but, you know, he is growing a little bit on me. The actor playing him is just fantastic. He, he seems to be striking that perfect balance between a gutsy kid and a scared kid. I really wish I knew the actor's name so that I could give him more credit. Episode 101, this is where things started to get a little odd, as Edwards and Jimmy, after their boat is wrecked, get tangled up with giant clams. Clams big enough to latch onto Edwards and drag him underwater. I know there are types of giant clams that can get, you know, four feet across or more, but I don't know, it just struck me as really weird, especially when Superman struggled to break them open and free Edwards. We had a nice mystery going on, and it turned out to be giant, super-strong clams. Now, points for going with something unexpected, but I would have preferred something else. A more valid complaint, at least on a less personal preference level and an actual flaw in the story, is that it took Superman an awful long time to find Jimmy and Edwards. He starts looking for them in the middle of last episode and doesn't find them until the middle of this one. Now, I realize the passageways beneath the house may be long and winding, but this is a guy with x-ray vision, super hearing, speed, and all manner of other abilities. There seemed to be no reason it took Superman so long to find them other than the fact that the plot necessitated it. Thankfully, it led to the second meeting between Superman and Jimmy. I enjoyed that. Um, It wasn't as cool as their first meeting, but it did surprise me that they had another meeting so quickly. They meet when he saves Edward, when Superman saves Edwards, but then he slips away before Edwards comes too. So 
Jimmy is still the luckiest boy on the face of the earth, and the only one privy enough to know that Superman is actually real. And, true to what I predicted last episode, Jimmy asks Superman about his promise, and Superman replies that he hasn't forgotten before flying off. And I would definitely expect more of those in the future. Episode 102, a lot of recap from the characters at the beginning of this episode. And while it was done in the course of the dialogue, they made no pretense that they were trying to be subtle, because while trying to figure everything out, Clark comes right out and says, let's go over what we know, and then proceeds to tell the whole story all the way back to when Jimmy found the turtle. Not necessarily a huge criticism. I mean, I realize, you know, all the same stuff. It's 1940, they're writing for kids, it's a two-week storyline. But when it sticks out so blatantly, I'm going to point it out. It was kind of neat that Alana was the one that ultimately saved the day by killing the villain. Yes, it's a Superman show, but once in a while, it's good to see other people stepping up too, especially in a situation like this, because it really drove home the point that she wasn't evil like Boris was, which was a good payoff to the beginning beginning of the episode when they did build that up as a mystery. But then they're just like, okay, he's dead, here's some pearls, but we're going to leave them there and go to Bermuda. To his credit, Clark did mention that they're going to stick around long enough to give Boris a proper burial and destroy the generator so that it won't bother anyone again and, you know, Boris's body just isn't left in the house. But what's with Alana and Edwards going to Bermuda? Would Edwards really be so anxious to go sail away with a woman that kept him chained up in a cellar for a year? Okay, technically she didn't keep him there, but she sure didn't do anything to help him escape until Clark and Jimmy showed up and just happened to stumble across him. Overall, this was alright, I suppose. It wasn't outstanding, but far from the worst the radio has given us. It seems like I had a lot of negative things to say about it and and not many positive, but I, I really did like it more than my comments may have let on. It was a fun story, uh, very different from the last, which in turn was quite different from the one before that. So it made for a nice change of pace, especially after the longer storyline we had last time and the even longer one that we're going to have next. The tone reminded me of stories told in the first season of Adventures of Superman. It, you know, It's really easy for me to picture this playing out well in live action, especially in black and white. If you want to hear this storyline for yourself, like all the radio episodes of, of lately, it's never been released, but it was adapted into the October 1941 issue of Radio and Television Mirror, which is odd because the Bathysphere storyline was in the November issue. Like I said in issue or episode 80, I don't have that issue, but since this storyline was adapted before the Bathysphere, I think we can safely assume that the Bathysphere story was wrapped up neater in the adaptation than on the actual broadcast. As for this storyline, since it's not continuing from the Bathysphere arc, it starts with Clark and Jimmy already on their way to Dead Man's Island on Hunt for the Story. No explanation is given as to how they came to know there might be a story there, but then it continues, and it's pretty faithful from there on out to the radio version. One of the only significant differences is that Jimmy and Edwards aren't captured by Boris and locked up in the tower. After Clark and Jimmy finds Edwards, 
we uh, get all the backstory, and then Clark sends them to get find the motorboat while he goes to destroy the dynamo. And then instead of hearing Jimmy's cries when Boris grabs them, he hears Jimmy's cries after their boat wrecks and they tangle with the giant clams. And of course, Jimmy is unconscious whenever Superman is doing his thing, as those two haven't met yet in the narrative of these adaptations, since, as I said, that storyline was adapted after this one. But still a pretty faithful uh, retelling in comparison to some of the others. Like most of the text adaptations of Superman stories in the magazine, this one is accompanied by, by spot illustrations of scenes in the story. One shows Jimmy and Clark in the boat headed to Dead Man's Island, and a second shows Superman swimming down to save Jimmy after their boat wrecked. As this is only the second of the radio stories featuring Jimmy to be adapted like this, these illustrations might just be the first visual depictions of the character, or at least one of the first. It's hard to know exactly when these magazines hit the stands, since we only have a cover date, but it's very possible that it was published before uh, Jimmy officially appears in the comics, so I found that pretty interesting. said Mongo, didn't he? That's wrong character, wrong universe, and wrong galaxy. Hold on just one sec. Ah, here we go. Flash Legacies, a podcast connecting the adventures of Wally West, the third hero to be known as The Flash. Join me, Dave Walker, in my bi-weekly journey as I look at Wally's career from when he first donned the mantle of the Flash all the way up to the return of Barry Allen. Find me at flashlegacies.limpson.com The funeral is over. Jonathan Kent is on the mend. So, uh, how's Clark's father? Oh, much, much better. Lois has returned home. Lois, over here! Harry, why? Since when did you start meeting your staff at the airport? How'd you know I was returning on that flight? A good editor checks out his hunches, Lois. I got a hot story of once you straight away. I'm parked over here. But just as Metropolis has learned to live without the Man of Steel... I know, there was only one Superman, but Metropolis just hit the jackpot. Because we got four Supermen now, and nobody knows which of them, if any, is the real McCoy. Four beings of incredible power and intellect have laid claim to the Man of Steel's name. The last son of Krypton. I live. The Man of Steel. <laughs> 
Man of Steel coming through! Nobody moves! This is a bust! The Cyborg. Yes, I'm Superman. I'm back. The Boy of Steel. Put me down! Listen, pal, don't ever call me Superboy. Capiche? The reign of the Superman is upon us. And so, from crisis to crisis, a Superman podcast begins its epic coverage of this last act in the epic death and return of Superman saga. Every week, Michael Bailey and Jeffrey Taylor, along with the best and the brightest in the podcasting community, will cover this event in all of its forms, from the comics to the novelizations to the audio drama and beyond. Superman is back, but is any of them the real Man of Steel? Find out on From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast, located at www.supermanhomepage.com and www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. everyone that does it for yet another episode as always i want to thank you for joining me if you have questions comments or other feedback please feel free to email me at thrillingadventures at greatcrypton.com also be sure to stop by the website at greatcrypton.com for show notes images back episodes and more you can also leave feedback there if it's more convenient or you can leave feedback and get updates whenever i have show news by following the show on facebook and or twitter and links to the show's pages on both networks can be found at the site as well. If you would like to subscribe to the show, you can do that two ways. First, via the RSS feed, available at greatcrypton.com, and secondly, via iTunes. If you subscribe via iTunes and have time, I'd appreciate it if you could leave an iTunes review. It helps folks find the show and know that it's worth listening to. Also, be sure to check out the Superman Podcast Network and the Superman homepage. Lots of Man of Steel related content at both sites and I invite you to check out my other podcast, Green Lantern's Light which I co-host with Jeffrey Taylor and J. David Weeder. We are one episode or two issues, depending on how you want to look at it, away from a major turning point in the Green Lantern series so jump on board now at GreenLanternsLight.com As always, Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster and is copyright DC Comics So thanks again for listening to The Thrilling Adventures of Superman, and I will talk to you later. Goodbye.
swim the rest of the way to shore. The tide's coming in. We won't be able to stand on this bar much longer. All set? Wait. What's it down there in the water? That big gray thing. Where, Jimmy? Right down there. There were three of them. Good heavens. What are they? Oh, no. Look, they're moving. Coming closer to us. Jimmy, I think I know what they are. I've heard about them from sailors. They're giant clams. Giant clams? Yes, and I've been told they're dangerous. We'd better get off this bar and in a hurry. Come on. Look at the size of them. Bigger than I am. And they can move fast, Jimmy. Come on, quickly. Okay. Oh, what's the matter? My legs. Well, it's got me, Jimmy. What am I doing? I gotta get loose. I gotta get loose. He's pulling me to the water. Jimmy. Oh. Helpless with his leg caught between the powerful shells of a giant tropical clam, Carl Edwards fights a valiant but losing battle. But as Jimmy's frantic cries carry over the island, a powerful figure in blue costume and red cape emerges from the camouflaged opening to the tunnel beneath the huge stone house. He plunges into the veritable forest of trees around it. I've searched every foot of that winding tunnel. Neither Jimmy nor Edwards are there. They must be someplace in the house. If I have to rip every stone with my bare hands up. What's that? Somebody's screaming for help. Great Scott, it's Jimmy. Out in the water. Up! Up! And away! How on earth did he ever get out there? I'm coming, Jimmy! Superman. Who left you out on this sandbar? Look, down there on the water, a giant clam. It's grabbed Mr. Edwards' leg. Stay where you are, Jimmy. Don't move. I'll get him. Good thing the water's clear. But I've got to work fast before Edwards drowns. I can only get my hands between those shells. I can pry them open. Now. Got it. All right, now. Now to wrench the shells apart and free his foot. Great Scott, these things are powerful. Here it comes. Slowly. A little more. Ah, there. That does it. Now to rush Edwards up to the surface. Oh, you got him. Yes, but he's unconscious. Here, hang on to my arm. I'll get you both to shore. Up, up. There we are. Now let's see what we can do. Uh, leg is just bruised. He doesn't seem to have swallowed much water. Rub his wrist, Jimmy. Right. Hard. Hard. That's fine. Ah, he'll be all right in a few minutes. <coughs> ah, he's coming to already. Well, I'd better be going. Can't you say until Claude Kent comes? There's a crazy man and his sister living on the island. They're trying to kill us. Kent should be here any minute, Jimmy. I saw him coming down the path to the beach. But you haven't forgotten your promise to tell me who you really are, have you? No, I haven't forgotten. Someday soon. Bye. Goodbye, uh, Superman. Uh, and away. 